there's a warm welcome for you here when you're ready to come. Uh, we are in the middle of a season of Lent, uh, which uh, Christians down through the ages have looked at the life of Jesus as we lead up to Easter, uh, and to, in particular, pay attention to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us and how it reshapes or reframes our understanding of our life, uh, both individually and collectively. If, if Lent is not a part of your spiritual upbringing, you're not sure about that, it's a 40 days of, of preparation as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and how we understand His life and what it is meant to bring us abundance and fulfillment in our own life as well. So we've been learning as we've been engaging through this series uh, that we call Engage. How do you learn to engage the various practices to find our life caught up into the purposes and the ways of God. We looked at how our life with Christ is, uh, is found fulfilling when we submit ourselves to the Word of God. That the divine friendship that we're invited into by God is, is founded and rooted in as we submit ourselves to the authority and to the teaching of Scripture. And we find the strength and we learn to lean into our life with God. We find strength that we need when we face difficult circumstances of loss and of grief and we learn to walk this road of faith with the grace of God uh, in our life that it reshapes the strength that we can have because of Christ. We learn that because of Christ we can remain connected to a life with God that is meant to be fruitful and meant to be life-giving to us and to others that we reframe our life around and we reshape our life around the person of Christ when we stay connected to him. And even God's life reshapes our understanding of servanthood. That as we serve, we don't serve in order to get recognition or to get, go up the, the climb the corporate ladder, as it were, but we learn a life of self-giving and a life of, of selflessness. And we learn the road of sacrifice and servanthood. That our life takes on meaning and fulfillment when we follow the ways of Jesus. Well, this morning I want to kind of Consider what does it look like for our life together. How our life with Jesus, in other words, reshapes and redefines our life together in community. That we come to one another differently because we are bound together in Christ. That we are a new family and our relationship with Christ reshapes or re-understanding our understanding of our life together. That we are now bound together in a new family Christ as our leader and us as brothers and sisters and how that reshapes and how we enter into and how we're blessed by the community at large. Our relationships with one another are, are a way in which we experience the fulfilling, abundant life that Jesus says that he calls us into and in particular it's this beauty of community. A life that is based on loving one another, caring for one another, uplifting one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another. The Apostle Paul writes all throughout his letters, and you have this one another coming up over and over again, that we are bound together, that we encourage and forgive and, and walk with one another in this new family, this new community that is centered on Christ and is reshaped around Christ, around Christ. Well, for our scripture reading this morning, is going to come from John chapter 15. So if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to, to look up John chapter 15, 
verses 12 and through 17. If you don't have one, maybe the phone will work or even the screens behind me, they should be able to follow along and then we'll see what God will teach us. So starting in verse 12, Jesus says this to his disciples. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. It's kind of tempting to think about our life with God as a solitary journey. That it's my life with God. It's a, my personal life with God. It's my personal relationship with God. And so we can talk about and even be thinking about our life with God as a solitary Journey, But the key that I want us to zero in on this morning, this key idea that I want us to wrestle with this morning, is that fellowship within the body of Christ, fellowship is an essential practice to mature our life with Christ. Fellowship within the community of brothers and sisters centered on Christ, fellowship in the Christian community is an essential practice to mature us into the ways of Jesus. And that has been true of all of us. No matter how long you've been pursuing Jesus, no matter where you are in the life of journey of Christ, with Christ, no matter where you are, this is true of you, I guarantee it. The reason that you are sitting in the chairs that you are sitting, or even those that are online listening to where we are speaking, the reason that you're even at least curious about the spiritual life and about the eternal nature of a life with God is because somebody at some point poured into your life. Somebody modeled Christ-likeness. Somebody spoke into you. Somebody's been praying for you. Somebody that you didn't even know has been encouraging you and pouring into you and praying for you. Somebody at some point has been pouring into you and you are the result of a spiritual heritage of somebody pouring into you. All of us are. For this life that we have with Christ is not a solitary life that we just come up with our own, on our own, but it is the result of others teaching us, praying for us, encouraging us, modeling Christ-likeness. It might have been a parent. It might have been a mentor. It might have been a grandparent, a friend, a co-worker, a coach. Somebody at some point poured into your life and you are pursuing Jesus at wherever you are because someone else poured into your life. And if we pass the mic around this morning and just started hearing story after story, then you would hear about stories of, of a grandmother who prayed every night for her grandchild, and that was you. We'll hear stories about a friend who encouraged you to come to church one Sunday. You'll hear stories about someone who just got a stirring in their soul for something else, and they remember the coworker was a part of a certain church, and they began to go. you hear someone who stood in the back of a church building at one point, and a pastor talked and prayed and, and spoke words of encouragement to them. And you'll hear story upon story upon story about others pouring into you. Because our life with God is not something that happens in a vacuum, but our life with God is something that happens within the fellowship, within community with brothers and sisters. 
and maturing in Christ's likeness, maturing and growing into his image happens in community. In community. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. And in another passage, Jesus would say, this, by this way in which you love others, this is how other people will know that you belong to me, that you are a part of this new family, and by the way in which you love each other, but you way in which you care for each other. Within the family, we begin to follow the way of Jesus. And so if you and I are going to grow in our maturing life with God and grow into be people of integrity and compassion and service and other-centeredness and all of that, if we're going to grow in that, then we need spiritual friends. We need community. We need people around us to do life with. We need spiritual friends to pour into us, to encourage us along the way. For there will be times when we want to toss the, the towel in and throw it in, but we need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us. We need each other. We need each other. But here's the truth. While we need each other, and while you need someone to pour into you, you need a spiritual friend to help maturing your life with Christ. Here's the truth. You need to be a spiritual friend to someone else. You need to be the encouraging person, the one who helps others along the way. This is what it looks like to be a life together. Not just to be recipients, but to be a part of the blessing of one another. To love one another. Not simply be loved by others, but to love one another. That's the beauty of Christian community. That's part of how we've been created. It's part of how we've been fashioned and made in the image of God, that we have been made in the image of a triune God, eternally living and existing in, in three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally in a perpetual state of self-giving love. We've been made to not only be loved, but to love one another in the way that Christ loved us. The whole Genesis uh, accounts reflects this genesis chapter 2 when god makes adam he places him in the garden of eden and declares it is not good that he's alone and so he makes eve for him brings eve to him and he says at last this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones and the scripture says the two of them are naked and they feel no shame there's vulnerability there's oneness they're able to be loved and to love they're able to be known and to know, and there's a oneness that is together in this community, and God declares that is very good. Very good. All other aspects of creation, God says, is good, but when he creates community that reflects the nature of the Trinity, he says that is very good, where you can not only love, but be loved, not only know, but be known. That there's an aspect of our relationships that is a vertical dimension of our life with God and a horizontal dimension. And spiritual maturity happens in the context where both our vertical life with God is made right between our life with God in Christ and our life with one another. When Christ says, love one another and be loved by one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. The biblical record from Genesis 3 on is a myriad of ways in which we have denied this. We have tried as much as we can to live without God, to break off our vertical relationship with God and just kind of do it our own. 
or we've cut off from other people and we think, well, it's just a personal life with Jesus and I just don't need others, but it's just my life with Jesus. And what you see in Genesis 3 and on and on and even into our life is absolute disaster in our own lives and the lives of our community and the lives of the world. When we see our life as a perpetual DIY project, and we forget the community that we are called into and forget the relationship that we're called into into life with Christ, well, there's disaster both personally in family relationships and in the culture at large. To be fully human, in other words, is to learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. To love one another as I have loved you, Christ says. And to be loved by one another as I have loved you. That's why we've been created. That's how we've been fashioned and made and put on a path towards an eternal fulfilling life. But if you hear and you watch Christians sometimes talk or live their life, you would think that the commandment that Jesus says is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and just kind of tolerate people. You just kind of deal with them as best you can. But that falls short. That falls short of the glorious, eternal, fulfilling life that God has called us and created us to live. That, that the first created people lived into with vulnerability, where mutual vulnerability, where they were known and they know, where they were loved and they love. And God said it was very good. Very good. And this is how in Christ our life together is reshaped where we relearn how to love one another as Christ has loved us, where we relearn how to know one another, how to be known, to be loved, but to also know and to love. And Jesus says, by that, all the world will know that you are my disciples. By that way in which you love one another, that you are known and be known, loved and love others, that that will be a testimony to the world around that you are my disciples, that you are living an eternal heavenly life right now. And the whole trajectory of Scripture is that when you and I come into a right relationship with God through Christ, then we are also bound together in a new family with brothers and sisters. We belong to one another. We are united with one another. That's just a reality, and we need to learn how to live within that reality. And Jesus wonderfully models this for us. For in his earthly life, he left the boundaries or uh, the, uh, the, the eternal nature and he comes to be with us. Though he is eternally the second person of the Trinity, he comes to be in companionship, to walk and to eat and to laugh and to celebrate and to pray and to do life with us. And then he calls his disciples friends to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. And so this morning, I simply wanted to encourage us that our life with God finds maturity when we learn, relearn how to operate into this fellowship, into this community, into this life together. And in order to help us with that, I want to highlight Jesus as our model, as what does it look like for us to know and to be known, to love and to be loved? What does it look like to follow after Jesus' way with others and to encourage us in this community? to walk in those same ways. And the first way I want to highlight is Jesus' hospitable way. Jesus' hospitable way. 
He treated all people, regardless of class or gender or socioeconomic status or any other thing that sought to define us, with dignity as people who are made in the image of God, loved them well and welcomed them. I think about Jesus speaking to a woman midday at a well because she was outcast, because no one would want to talk to her, and yet Jesus made room for her and welcomed her. I think about Jesus speaking with Nicodemus at night because he was a little scared of it. But Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the ruling class, the Sanhedrin, and Jesus made room for him, even at night, to have a conversation with him. I think about Jesus sharing a meal with tax collectors and other unsavory people, that he made space for them and shared a meal with them. He demonstrated a way of being with others that that called out their dignity, that he was not too good to be with them. And that transformed their whole identity, transformed their whole understanding of themselves. And while he certainly was busy moving from town to town, doing ministry and talking to people and teaching and healing and doing ministry all along, while he was certainly busy, he was never in a rush. He was never hurried. He has always had room for interruption for people that needed him. Think about a woman who pushed her way through a busy, loud crowd while Jesus was on his way to visit a synagogue official's daughter. This woman pushed her way through and met Jesus and was healed from a bleeding issue she had been suffering with. And Jesus paused and made space for her. He was busy, but he was not rushed. Think about the children that often came around Jesus and he had space for them. He didn't shun them off to the side, but he had space for their laughter and their noise and their playfulness. Unfortunately, we, in this day and age, we live at such high RPMs that we rarely have enough margin for our own selves, let alone to create space for others. I speak that about my my own life, that when we live at such high RPMs that we have no margin in our life, no space in our life, then that is to our detriment. Our spiritual life is hindered because of that. But more than just an offering welcome, Jesus has a way of seeing people, a particularizing way. He notices people more than others do. He had a way of of walking through the crowds and seeing people and seeing beneath the surface, beneath the veneer of things that people present to other people. I think about Jesus' interaction with the paralyzed man whose friends bring him, carrying him on a mat, and Jesus sees his paralyzed status, but then offers forgiveness for what he really needed. I think about a person in Mark chapter 5 where he's demon-possessed and outcast to live among the graves. And while he's healed from the demon possession, but he's also restored emotionally and back to his family because that's what he really needed. Jesus saw him for what he really needed. He had a particularizing way of seeing people, not just the veneer what you present, but really seeing you. We've said this in other settings, but in the world in which we live in, there seems to be a a deep sense of unnoticedness, where people walk through crowds, walk through most, most of their day, and they feel unnoticed, really noticed. Because we live at such high RPMs and rushed from one thing to the next that we don't notice them. But Jesus had a way of noticing, seeing them, 
without harsh judgment, but really seeing them and with gentleness and with dignity, calling them to a transformed life, calling them to know their identity, calling them to know who they really were, calling them to change and to lead a life worthy of the calling that they have. And that's not to say that Jesus dismissed their sin. Quite the contrary. He, he spoke directly at the damaging effect that sin has on our lives. And he, he calls them to repent. He calls people to turn away from destructive lives. He speaks directly at that. But he always speaks with gentleness in a way that calls up people to the dignity and to their value of who they're made to be. He has a hospitable way. And he sees them for what they need. Speaks to their situation and calls them to a transforming way but again we well we live at such high rpms in our life all the time that we just don't see we don't notice which is what it led to one of my favorite authors and mentor of mine dallas willard often say you must learn to ruthlessly rid yourself of hurry you must ruthlessly rid yourself of hurry when we're hurried we won't see someone we won't create space for someone we won't notice them but there's another way in which jesus portrays this life together this community life where we can know and be known we can love and be loved and that is a way that he's patient with others the gospel writers matthew mark luke and john always paint the disciples as kind of this fellowship of the uh, the, the slow learners, you could say it that way. Fellowship of the slow learners. Jesus meets Thomas after his resurrection, and Thomas quite, isn't quite there yet. And Jesus meets him where he is and says, put your hands in these scars. You know, it's okay. He restores Peter after denying, knowing Christ. He restores Peter. He's patient along the way. It seems like the disciples go two steps forward and three steps back, but Jesus is always patient with them. He honors their sacredness, honors their dignity, sees them for what they're worth, not just what they're doing, but what they're worth. So we can grow in our patience with one another to see the value and the dignity to not give up on one another, to not give up. C.S. Lewis in his sermon, Weight of Glory, says that next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. To learn to be patient with one another. We learn to grow in a hospitable way for one another. We grow in a way of seeing one another. Why? Because next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor, your brother, your sister, the person sitting right next to you is the holiest object presented to your senses. So we learn to love one another to be known by one another, to be vulnerable with one another, to cultivate a love for one another that is so in stark contrast to the world around us where we learn to see, where we learn to walk with. There's a welcome, there's dignity, there's value in each member of our family from the youngest to the oldest, from those that are just starting to follow Jesus to those who've been following for centuries. There's space. For us and we can learn from jesus and we can cultivate our life that way but how do you do that 
If that's our model, what are the practices we can do right now in these next few moments and even these next couple of months to cultivate that? That crossroads would be that kind of place to be known, but to know, to, to be loved, but to love as well. What are the practices you see in Jesus' life that will learn us, help us to learn to love one another as Christ has loved us? So for that, I just want to spend a few moments and I'll highlight just three for you and for me. The first one is the practice of listening. Jesus listens really well to others. And listening is a fundamental aspect of being present with someone. Being really present with them. Not distracted and have your mind going a hundred different ways, but to be really present and to look at someone and to hear what they're asking and what they're saying. And to remind us of who they are. That they're made in the image of God. This past week, I was in Atlanta in a learning cohort for those of us that are learning to partner with Christ for the growth of spiritual formation in our own life and for the life of others. It's a wonderful time. It's a great learning cohort that I'm a part of. I'll be in Atlanta for a few times each year. But one of the great gifts that we have at this little cohort is the opportunity to listen to one another, to be listened to and to listen it wasn't really fancy. It wasn't like things we did were really great. But all we did was we intentionally created space for one another. We eliminated the distractions. We didn't have our cell phones. We didn't have TVs on. We didn't have anything else. We eliminated distractions, and we were really present and listening to one another. And I was reminded, personally, I was reminded about how the practice of listening is reciprocal. For it's life-giving to be listened to. When it was my turn to share part of my life and part of my journey and to have another person sit quietly and listen and really actively listen, it was, it was life-giving to me to be noticed, to have someone hear my story. But the blessing went both ways. For when I got to sit and listen to someone else and what God was doing in their life, I walked away blessed by listening just as much as I walked away blessed by being listened to. We both walked away encouraged. Jesus has a masterful way of listening. And we need to develop a way of listening ourselves. But it will take an intentional step. Nothing fancy, but we have to intentionally listen. And that leads me to the second suggestion for you. We need to begin to ask good questions. Really good questions. Notice how Jesus always asks good questions to people. He asks a man who's paralyzed is laying on the side says what, what do you actually want like what do you want not just the surface level what what do you want he asked the disciples what, what do people say that i am who do people say that i am what about you where are you with your life with me right now most of us ask questions to get information right like where are we going to go for lunch what's for dinner tonight what do you want to do on our day off you know, those kind of things. We ask, and those are good. Those are good questions. But they don't lead to depth of knowledge of one another. Ask deeper level questions are harder to answer. They're not so quick, but they invite fellowship. They invite community. They invite vulnerability. They invite us to that deeper level where we really can be known and to know others, to be loved and to love others as Christ has already loved us. So we ask questions like, what was it like for you? growing up in the family that you grew up in? 
Or what were the events that led you to pursue Jesus? What were the few people that poured into your life? Who's a part of your spiritual heritage? Those kinds of things. They might be harder to give the two-second answers to, but they open up a deeper understanding of our own heart. I've been, had the privilege of being a part of a cultural learning group here at Crossroads where we've talked about racism and about racial injustice in America in particular. And we have a, a diverse group that comes together for the sole purpose of learning from one another, of listening to one another, and asking deep questions of one another. What was it like for you to grow up as a person of color in this area and in this world and to hear their stories and to share part of my story, to be listened to at a deeper level of compassion, of understanding. And when we ask those good questions, not informational questions, but open questions, it's a doorway into relationship. It's a doorway into fellowship. And when Christ is in the center of our life, it's a doorway into a deeper life with God, with Him in our midst. So we, all, we learn to listen, ask good questions. And then the third practice is a practice of prayer. A prayerfulness of learning to live. Because when we walk with prayerfulness, to begin our life with prayerfulness, then we begin to see that God is active in the people's lives around us all the time. And we're just asking God for the eyes to see where is God moving and doing? What is he doing in our life? Again, this past uh, this learning cohort that I'm a part of this past time in Atlanta, these last few months, one of the exercises that we've been doing to kind of oh, bring our awareness to God's activity in the people's lives around us is to begin our mornings with a day of, with a, with a five, ten minutes of preview of our day. And to use our imaginations and to imagine the people that I'm going to come in contact with, to see their faces, to see your faces. To think about what has been going on in their life and to just simply say a prayer of blessing over them. To think about the people I'm going to interact with and to use my mind and my imagination to literally see you before my mind's eye and just pray a prayer of blessing over you. Over every email, over every phone call, over every meeting, over every interaction that I see. And over these last few months, I've begun to see myself walking around my days with a sense of prayer of anticipation of, God, what are you doing in the lives of the people around me? And as a way of deepening our fellowship, my desire to listen, because I know God's doing something in your life. So I want to ask a good question, and I want to listen, and I want to pay attention to what God is doing. And can you imagine if as a fellowship, we became the kind of place where people were walking with this sense of anticipation that God is up to something and asking good questions of you, and you were listened to, and you were heard, and noticed, and someone pushed you below the surface, and you met Jesus there, and he reminded you of your belovedness, he reminded you of his deep love for you, and you saw that in the eyes of a brother or sister, and you saw that and experienced that. Could you imagine? No wonder Jesus would say, by that kind of love, all people will know that you are my followers. All people will know that there's something different happening in this fellowship, in this community. Why? Because that is a breath of fresh air, is it not? It's a breath of fresh air to your soul. One last thing I'd leave with you this morning. 
As the life of Jesus leads us to a life of community, and this is something I've already alluded to all all throughout this morning, because our life with God is deeply personal, but it's not private. It's deeply personal, but it's not private. It's not isolated. It's not by itself. You join in your life with Christ, and you join with brothers and sisters in this place and down through the centuries that we walk with God. And when we gather, we gather in close proximity so that we can see each other, that we can give each other a hug, and we can be the learning, listening presence of God in our midst. So this community, this fellowship, is a way in which we mature our life with Christ because your life is deeply personal, but it's not private. And when you learn to live in that kind of community, well, then you will be blessed. You will be blessed. And through your blessing, you will be a blessing. By being blessed, you will be a blessing. By being loved, you will love. By being known, you will know others. And by that, all people will know that we belong to the family of God. Let me pray for us. And we'll go. Jesus, we're humbled and grateful that you have brought us to this place. Remind us and encourage us to be people of community. Bring us back to a place where we can know you and to experience you in the lives and the faces of brothers and sisters. I pray that you would equip us to be a different kind of place, one that is based on your love for us and for others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.